It's uh, great to see you all. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and uh, part of our preaching team. And uh, my sermon prep day where I kind of really put the message together is typically Thursday. And I kind of have kind of a rule with myself to go, I'm not leaving until it's finished. And, uh, and so this Thursday, it all went just real smooth. I actually finished kind of early. I was home by maybe 3 or 3.30, and my family was like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I finished. Um, and, then last, and then basically what I do is I, I pretty much finish it Thursday, and I try to not think about it until Sunday morning, until, so I can actually have kind of a Sabbath and just rest. And, uh, but, but last night, I was kind of beginning to kind of chew on it a little bit, and I was thinking, I don't like this message that I wrote. And so I got up this morning and was kind of looking at it again and went, yep, this needs to be totally rewritten. Uh, And the reason was, what I'm going to say, what we're going to focus on in this message, and the other one was just part of the message. And as I sat with it, I went, no, it kind of needs to be the whole message. So uh, we'll see. Some of you may later go, hey, could you tell me the other one you were going to do? Yeah, so we'll see. So uh, if you're uh, just kind of catching up with us, we've been studying the Gospel of John, and uh, these last few weeks we've been in John chapter 13, and John 13 is really this place where in the Gospel of John, the, the, the story kind of moves. Up to this point, in, up to chapter 12, Jesus has been talking very publicly, announcing who he is, showing who he is by his uh, signs and wonders and miracles, um, and really being very public about everything. In chapter 13, it moves into the locker room, it moves behind the scenes, Jesus starts to begin to really train his disciples. And it begins in John chapter 13, verse 1. This is important, especially when we think about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He washes their feet as a picture of how he will wash them from sin through his uh, sacrifice as the suffering servant. And then he begins to instruct them, he begins to teach them. In the passage we looked at last week, uh, Judas, uh, one of his 12, who's been with him, who's been following him, who's been one of his closest friends, who not everyone assumed was a loser, they actually put him in charge of the money. They assumed he was trustworthy, and Judas turns on Jesus, and he leaves. And as a result of that, the passage we just read in verse 31 says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, so, so this Judas leaving is like this key moment. It's this key turning point. All right, guys, now it's really the team that I got to prepare for what's next. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Uh, class, notice any key words? In those few verses, it's glorify, right? Jesus is saying, hey, Judas has left, and what's on my mind is that now is the time that I'm going to be glorified. That word glorified means to have the splendor revealed. Isn't that interesting? Where's Jesus headed? He's headed in the very place that would make us think, well, that's not splendor. And what you see is that in Jesus' mind, even as he's thinking about how he's loving them to the end, His glory is revealed in the cross. He says, verse 33, little children, that phrase can be translated, my dear children. It's a term of affection. It's a term of endearment. It's like you get your kid or your grandkid up on your lap and you say, hey, sweetie, hey, honey, hey, buddy. That's what he's saying. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going 
you cannot come. So I'm going to be glorified and then I'm going somewhere. You can't come with me. He'll talk more about that in chapter 14. But then here's where we're going to focus today. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we'll talk about what a significant command this is in a moment. I mean, the command to love one another is not a new command in the Bible, but the way Jesus defines it is new. And you got to think, these guys have spent a lot of time with Jesus. They know of his affection for the Hebrew scriptures. And so the point at which Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God says, hey, listen up, I got something new for you. You'd think like that would just be the whole focus of the conversation. But when it's love one another, look at Simon Peter's reaction. Simon said to him, Lord, where are you going? Like, yeah, 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 love, 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 blah, 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 blah. But where are you going? Isn't it easy to ignore the most obvious commands? To focus on all the theology and the lessons and the plans of God instead of the call of God. Jesus answered, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow afterward. In other words, you're not going to die with me now, but you will die later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered. You just kind of see the sparkle in Jesus' eye as you read this. Will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. So that's the story. Uh, We're going to focus especially on what we read there in the middle, this new command. It seems really important. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help now. God, we ask that we could feel the way you hoped the disciples would feel when they heard this new commandment. And God, because this new commandment seems so actually old and familiar, we confess that we're too easily inoculated to it. And we want to move on to what feels like deeper things, better things. God, help us to hear your word to our church. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in these middle verses a staggering command and a sobering implication. First, a staggering command. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, again, like I said, this is not entirely a new commandment. There's places in Leviticus, there's places in the Hebrew scriptures that describe how God's people are to love one another. What's new here, though, is the, the, the standard of it. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is a staggering command, and commentator D.A. Carson says this. He says, the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate Profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the staggering command, and I want to ask us today, is love on our radar? Not as something that's nice to kind of have in the Christian life, but as kind of like the main evidence of the Christian life. 
number of years ago, I was asking some people, I said, uh, hey, I'm curious how much you think you're growing in your faith. Do you feel like you're growing in your faith? Like on a scale of one to 10, where one is like, man, I'm totally stuck. I'm going nowhere. I just, I feel like I just, I'm almost not sure I have faith anymore. That's one. 10 is like, man, I am on fire and I've never felt closer to the Lord. And I mean, I'm growing like crazy. One to 10, where are you on that scale? And it's interesting because I asked a number of people this question and I really almost didn't care what they said. Some people said four, some people said seven. I don't think anyone was, was above a seven. A lot of fives and sixes. Here's what I cared about. I cared about the second question because the second question was this. What criteria did you use to determine your number? And I asked over a dozen people this question and not one of them came back and said, well, I thought about love as the criteria. Not one person said, well, you know what? I haven't been very loving lately, so I'm like a three. Or you know what? I really feel this, this growing love for my family and for my coworkers and for the Lord, and, and, and love is just kind of increasing, and, and therefore I'm a seven. Everyone used other criteria. It was like, well, I've been reading this, or I've been doing that, or I've been attending that, or I've been watching or listening to that. It was all content related. And I love content, right? I like host a million podcasts with content that I want to get into your hearts and minds because I think content matters. I preach the Bible every week, not just trying to be inspirational, but, but trying to exposit, to bring out, to unfold truth because I think truth matters. But it matters to the end that we love. I mean, this is Peter, right? Yeah, 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 blah, 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 whatever. Tell me the important stuff. How's this going to work in the end? How many of you are more concerned about the end times than being a loving person? How many of you are more concerned about some theological hobby horse you have or more concerned about what's going on in the news or more concerned about all these other things as we try to kind of discern God's plan. Here's God's plan. Love one another. You're not being coy about it. It's bright shining lights. And we go, yeah. I I think maybe we go, that sounds too soft. Are you saying that Jesus Christ was soft? Because like I, I get a few like ant bites while I'm mowing the grass, and I'm the world's biggest baby. <laughs> this man was crucified. He ain't soft. This is a staggering command. And, the, the, and it has sobering implications. Look at verse 34. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, as I've said uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus in this section, chapters 13 to 17, uses the word world 40 times. He doesn't use it here, but the idea is the same. He wants these disciples to go into the world to show the world who he is. And so here's what he says. By this, by what? By how you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, Keyword. If you have love for one another. In other words, it is possible for people to not really know if you're a disciple based on whether or not we obey this command. It's sobering. Now, there's all sorts of places. We just watched a video about the love of 
of God for one another. Like, and, and this happens, right? I remember a number of years ago, some of you have heard me tell this story, that a guy that I used to serve with as a pastor, he had this, his wife had this hairdresser and she kept inviting her to come to their small group and kept inviting her and kept inviting her and kept inviting her and got to the point where the woman just couldn't do it and said no and a bunch of times she just sort of quit inviting. So one day she goes to get her hair done and the hairdresser says, hey, you know that thing you're always inviting me to? Do you think I could come to that? And she's like, yeah, sure. So she's like, we're meeting tomorrow night. And so here's what, yeah, come on over. And so she gets the address and she comes. Well, well, the, the, the wife goes home and tells her husband who's leading and preparing the small group, hey, she's coming tonight. This is so great. Well, that night they were going to study Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> Those of you who are laughing, the reason you're laughing is because you know the story. The story is Ananias and Sapphira lie about this gift that they give and God strikes them dead. It's like, whoa. Like when people are like, I want to be part of like the early church. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. Right? And so, so the guy leading the group's like going, oh my goodness, she's finally coming. We're talking about like the scariest kind of judgment maybe in the Bible. Like, what do we do? And he said, you know what? God's sovereign. God's in control. I'm just going to roll with it. And so they're studying and they're talking and they're, everybody's speculating on this and that and talking about all these things. And this woman is not saying a word. He's just sitting there, and finally, toward the end of the conversation, he goes, hey, uh, what are your thoughts on all this? She got a tear in her eye, and she said, I just can't believe you guys get together and love each other like that. That's this verse. So, but, but here's the thing. That is too rare of a story. Like the reason I keep telling that one is it's the only one I got. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. You got to tell me, tell me what they are so you, you can help me with my illustrations. But that's just too rare. I mean, what would you say? Are, what, are, what are Christians known for today? Our love for one another? <laughs> yeah, right. It ain't love. We're known for a million other things. Commentator Tom Wright says this. He says, as we read verse 35, we are bound to cringe with shame at the way in which professing Christians have treated each other down the years. We've turned the gospel into a weapon of our own various cultures. We've hit each other over the head with it, burnt each other at the stake with it. We have defined the one another so tightly that it means only love the people who reinforce your own sense of who you are. He wrote that in 2002. He wrote that 20 years ago. Well, if that was true then, how much more true is that now? And listen, I'm not interested in trying to rebrand Christianity so the media writes fairer stories about Christians. Ha! That ain't going to happen. And I, I, that, that does not interest me. That's not what this is about, right? Because I'm sure if we could, we could get together a lot of stories that could reframe what people would see. And you go, oh yeah, the, we are more loving than, than the world out there gives us credit for. But here's what I see in me. I'm a lot more like the world than I want to be. I'm a lot quicker to dismiss people who disagree. I'm a lot pricklier on stuff that an irritable. I don't want to be like that. You want to be like that? Here's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in our friends and our family members. 
our kids, our grandkids. Like we've got some friends in our neighborhood and they're not remotely tempted to come to church on their worst day. Now, there was a time maybe in, in American history where if you fell in a crisis, you showed up at church. People are in all kinds of crisis all around us. And they're not even tempted by the church. Why? Because they see in here what they see out there. We're not known by our love for one another. So we've got to focus on this. And that's why I've hijacked this whole sermon into this main point. It's all about Jesus' love. His call for us to love like he loves. So I've got three, uh, three more points. Here we go. All right, number one. Jesus' love for us sets the standard of our love for each other. Look at what it says. This is what's new about the commandment, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Again, the commandment wasn't new. What was new was the standard. It's Jesus' love that sets the standard of our love for one another. How does Jesus love? He loves sacrificially. He loves completely. He sees. He serves. He moves toward. He loves with truth. And he loves with grace. His love is not about promoting himself. It's about seeing and serving the other, right? This is what Jesus does, even at the great cost of his own life. I love this definition of love because I think this is just really important that we define love, right? What are we talking about? The world wants to define it a million different ways. What's a biblical understanding of love? Well, here it is from Paul Tripp. He says, love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand repayment or that the person is deserving. Love is the willing self-sacrifice. Now get this, sometimes that self-sacrifice looks different. Sometimes it says, I'm going to do anything they want or need. And sometimes it draws a line and a boundary and says, I'm not willing to do that. And, you, and the sacrifice might be my reputation. The sacrifice might be your appreciation or enjoyment of me, but I'm, but I'm going to do that. It's a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand repayment or that the person is deserving. This is what we're called to, church. This is what we're called to be. People who willingly self-sacrifice for the good of other people who can't repay us and don't deserve it. Why? Because we don't deserve it and we can't repay Jesus and we're not like owed this. This is mercy. This is grace. This is the love of God for us. And here's the second point. Love is like a really huge deal. <laughs> I had to write that like a 90s teenager, all right? Love, this is, love is like a really big deal. It's really big. I want to show you the impact that this teaching had on the people who led the early church, the people who were in this room, some of them. So let's look first at, at Peter. 
Peter writes a couple of different letters in the rest of the New Testament. Years later, after this uh, experience, uh, after he's kind of not interested in following Jesus and he just wants to know all the rules, he kind of comes to his senses and he repents and he turns and he writes a number of letters and one of them is called 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says, you've been born again. You've been made new. Where's that born again language come? John 3. You've been born again. You're, you're imperishable now. You've got to live different. What's it look like? Love one another. Later in this same letter, he says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Peter says. That's not where he was here in John 13. He's like, well, I got a lot of other things that I want to talk about instead of that. But some repentance, and some age, and some wisdom, some reflection. He goes, hey, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It's a big deal. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't in the room. He came to Christ later, but he writes a lot of the New Testament. And you see, this is a huge deal for Paul as well. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 16. This sounds like 1 Peter 4. He says, let all that you do be done in love. Yikes. Like, I, I kind of want to go like, love is one of the colors that I could like use as I paint life. No, he's going like, it's the primer that's on everything. Above all, let all that you do be done in love. In Colossians 2, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, does that ever happen? Uh, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, this week, we had a uh, cookie throwdown here at the church with myself and our kids' pastor, Josh Yasuda. Uh, he claimed to have a better chocolate chip cookie recipe than I do, and I think he's wrong. And so we, uh, we fought it out to the death with uh, making cookies. And it uh, turns out, I lost. So way to go, Yasuda. But I remember like last year, I was making these cookies that I really like. And, and I'm putting it all together. And I'm, you know, got all this stuff. And, and I realized this is just falling apart. It's just crumbling. It's just not, well, why? Well, I had forgotten the eggs. Right, the eggs are this thing that it, it holds it all together. It makes it sticky. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying love is the eggs. And we have all this great ingredients. We got all this nice pure vanilla and we got all this nice dark chocolate chunks. Ghirardelli, I mean, it's just great. But if you don't have the eggs, it's falling apart. Love is the eggs. It's what binds everything together. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the aim of our charge. He's talking now to a fellow pastor. He says, here's what we're doing. The aim of our charge, the aim of our instruction. What are we doing, Timothy, in this role as a pastor? What are we going for? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
So Peter thinks it's a huge deal. Paul thinks it's a huge deal. Some of you are like, can we be done now? No. No, we can't be done. This is a huge deal. So let's go to John. So John, we've been reading his gospel. We also wrote two other or three other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And you could almost say that the whole point of 1st John is to call you to love one another. Look, look, look at this. By the way, if, if this bores you, then you're bored with Jesus. Not my problem. 1st John 2. <laughs> Beloved, I am writing you This is so clever in light of John 13. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. You get what he's saying? I remember when Jesus said, I got a new commandment. He's going, I'm not giving you a new one. He already gave that one. This is the old one you've had. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Right? The a big theme in John's gospel is light versus darkness. Jesus is the light. We're to be in the light. How do you be in the light? You love your brother. First John 3, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoa. Did I get your attention? Would you like to know if you're a child of God or a child of Satan? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now remember, love is not, would you meet their need in a moment of crisis if no one else could? That's not love. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. It doesn't demand repayment or that the person's deserving. He says, if we don't love like that, then we can say whatever we want about what we believe, and we look like Satan. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Right? John's not being like like kumbaya naive here. None of these guys are. They know this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. This is going to be costly. All three of these men will die for their faith. He says this. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's not done. 1 Peter 4, or I'm sorry, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We love, 1 John 4, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he's seen, cannot love God, whom he's not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, whether 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Last one, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. I mean, that just convicts me like crazy. think about this last year and how easy it's been to be dismissive, to be judgmental, to be kind of like, well, whose team are you on? Are you on Team Redemption Gateway? Are you on Team Other Church? That's not what it says. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever is part of their same church. And so there's repentance in my heart that's having to happen. Maybe yours. Maybe the tribalism. And the us versus them that's taking place within the body of Christ. It's got to go. So here's our last question. What would this kind of love look like? What would it look like? And to hear, I just, uh, I, I, I thought about, well, I'll just make up my own list. I don't need to. It's in the Bible. The passage a bunch of you had read at your wedding. Go back and read it. It'd be good, be good for you. Good for me. It's 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 Paul describes and defines what love looks like. Here's what it is. This kind of love would look like thick shock absorbers. Do you have thick shock absorbers in your relationships? Or are they just worn thin? And and get it, this year's been so hard as we've just watched the shock absorbers run thin. Right, you do enough online Zoom meetings and you keep your kids home enough and you try to navigate all the different changes and all the different things and, all the, and it just wears us thin. But the scripture says that love is patient. That word means long-suffering. It means enduring. We need thicker shock absorbers. I, 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 I think some of you need to hear this. If you're in relationships where someone can't be disappointed or it's over, it's not a real relationship. And so much of what we're doing is we're doing that to each other because we're worn thin. We need thicker shock absorbers. What would this kind of love look like? Next, it would look warm. Paul says love is patient and love is kind. This kind word in the Greek means warm-hearted. It's an emotional word, right? This is not like, I do love you, you. Right? It's like, do we love each other? Like, sometimes we got to tell your face. Right? Like, but I, I, there's this guy I was talking to, he, he's a sales manager for his company, and he says sometimes when the guys on his team or the ladies on his team will be kind of in a funk with their selling, he'll bring a little mirror over to their desk, and he'll put it on their desk, and he'll say, look at yourself in the mirror while you talk, be, and smile, because try to sound grumpy if you're smiling. 
And it just changes the whole thing. Some of us, we just got to warm up a little bit. Have a little more delight, have a little more joy, have a little bit more, hey, great to see you. Love is patient, love is kind. Next, this love would look self-forgetful. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. All of that is just talking about uh, having yourself be way too important, right? Why are you envious or boastful? Because you're thinking about yourself. Why are you arrogant or rude? Because you got to have your needs met. Why do you insist on your own way? Because it's all about you. See, sometimes we're so focused on ourselves, we can't see others because we're in the way. And even when we do see others, we only see others in comparison to ourselves because it's all about us. And what Jesus is saying is saying, no, 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 no. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off of your problems. Serve in light of the way you've been loved. And now it's the willing self-sacrifice for the good of others. This kind of love would next look forgiving. Paul says love is not irritable or resentful. I'm convicted by that. I mean, I feel like half the texts I send to my wife are about some stupid thing I saw in the news or the world or a tweet that makes me irritable. Right, like uh, some of you will identify with this meme that I saw the other day. I get most of my exercise these days from shaking my head in disbelief. (laughs) Right? I mean, listen, I'm not for one second saying this is easy. Of course it isn't easy. And yet that's what love is called to be. Do we want to show the world that we look like the world? Or show the, lo- the world that we're disciples of Jesus? Then it's going to be hard and we've got to be forgiving. So let me tell you this. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they've hurt you in some way with something that they did or something that they didn't do, if it needs confronting, confront it or else get over it. Don't build a long list. Don't, don't keep a record of wrongs. That's what actually Paul says in the NIV translates it as instead of a resentful is don't keep a record of wrongs. We're to be forgiving. We're to be bearing with one another. We're to be enduring. We're to be, right, because love overlooks and covers over a multitude of sins. How much does our world need that right now? There's so much moral grandstanding and no forgiveness. We can lead the way there. This kind of love would look truthful. 1 Corinthians 13 says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. We're not to be jellyfish. We're not to rejoice with wrongdoing. Love does not look at anything that anyone's doing for whatever reasons and say, yay, that's okay. You just be you. Follow your own truth. No. Love is not that way. Love rejoices with the truth. We're truthful. We believe in the Bible. We listen to the Bible. We have to also be truthful with ourselves and truthful in our relationships and tell people, hey, here's the line. Here's the limit. I can't do more. And this kind of love would look like believing the best. Paul finally says love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. What what, what lens are we looking through? Are we looking through a lens of suspicion and distrust 
And what's their real agenda? Listen, I get all the reasons we might do that when we interact with the world, but that gets in here too. We've got to believe the best. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. So here's where I, I just want to stop is by saying this. If this doesn't crush you into the ground and just smash you into a thousand pieces and make you feel like you really need Jesus, then nothing will. <laughs> nothing will. And the good news of this chapter, the good news of this whole book, is that the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Christ is there for us. But let, let's make no mistake, this is what we're called to, which is why we've got to live lives of dependence and prayer and, and relying on Jesus, because we cannot do this. I cannot do this. We can't be this kind of community without it. It's one of the reasons every week we go to the table, we go to communion, and it's this fresh reminder. I hope this doesn't get routine or rote for us. It's this fresh reminder, Lord, we need you. We've got to have you. Until you come back and make all things new, we, we desperately need your help. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, help us. Thank you for how you've loved. God, thank you that no amount of our obedience to this command even makes you love us more or less. Lord, it doesn't change your love for us, but it does change our witness in the world, and we want to be good witnesses. We want to be faithful to show the world who you really are. God, give us your strength and your grace and your love, and thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.